Episode 2 of Dubliners by Dubliners, the podcast that does a deep dive on James Joyce's collection of short stories, Dubliners. This week we're discussing the second short story in the collection, An Encounter. Before we begin, just a quick note to flag that this episode will cover topics of sexual abuse and any listeners who may be impacted by this should be advised. Before we begin the episode, we're just going to do a quick discussion on one of the themes that recurs throughout the collection, Epiphanies. I'm going to throw it over to you now, John, to uh, take our viewers through an introduction to what epiphanies are and, and the relevance to, of them to the uh, collection. Right, yeah, I think when you um, read some criticism of Joyce or even read some of some of the things Joyce wrote about his own writing, this word epiphany crops up a lot and it's, it's a little hard to puzzle out exactly what it means and I think for different, it means different things to different people in certain contexts. Uh, Joyce himself wrote a, a series of short sketches uh, known as epiphanies um, shortly before he, w- he wrote Dubliners, these were kind of, yeah, almost like vignettes or just capturing s- short, uh, short episodes. Another way that um, epiphany has been used in the context of Joyce is, uh, you know, some critics describe the structures of the, s- the structure of the stories in Dubliners as uh, epiphanic stories that, uh, that instead of conventional plotting, it follows more of a, a, a manner of an epiphany. And then lastly, I guess you have the characters themselves within the stories in Dubliners, and uh, a lot of the characters themselves seem to be having um, epiphanies in some way, as as in this case in, in an encounter. Um, I think the um, if we look at the origin of epiphany, I mean, in a in a Christian sense, or uh, yeah, the the the, ha- the meaning comes from um, the appearance of Christ to the the magi, the, magi, the wise men. Um, and through the uh, through the North Star that uh, that shows up above above the manger in Bethlehem, um, and so it's it's this kind of um, re- revealing of something um, some, something great that this this savior of, of the world has appeared through uh, through uh, some sign and um, yeah I think it's 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 similarly if you look at the the origins of it it's derived from Greek I believe. And it means something like a showing forth, often maybe a showing forth of a god to a to a mortal. Um, so that's 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 like a few of the different ways it's kind of interpreted, and and maybe a a, a brief kind of uh, intro to to where it comes from. But what's what's your take on Epiphany, Lachlan? How do, how do you read it? In my study of of, of Joyce and in in, in Dubliners particular, um, I was all Epiphanies were explained to me as uh, the denouement moment or the the unraveling of the story or the the core idea or concept behind what ultimately I suppose each of the, the stories is, is, is meant to be about it comes forth through through these epiphanies and you know I, I think there are echoes of these epiphanies throughout the throughout the collection both under the religious guise as, as, as you've given in the context of in the background but also then I think through the more guttural or physical, normalized, um, non-religious nature um, in some some of the stories, and I think I think today's one in particular as well is is, is a prime example of that um, non-religious realization or that development of an understanding or a sense of oneself um, coming coming at the end of the story, as, as I think we'll touch on later. But I suppose to, to to bring it back to a more kind of general sense, um, 
you know, I, th- I think there's uh, throughout the collection you see characters making or having realizations both about themselves and about other characters and you know the the relationships between them and i think that's um particularly interesting off the top of my head i'm thinking gabriel and greta conroy in the dead and uh farringdon in um counterparts yeah absolutely i think the the point you make about um you know not just not just being a spiritual thing i mean so yeah obviously the the origin of the um of the word maybe comes from a, a spiritual sense or, or a sense relating to, to God or godliness. Um, but of course, Joyce wasn't a, wasn't a, a staunch believer. And um, uh, in fact, he wasn't really a believer at all. Um, and I think so when, when Joyce uses words like um, like spiritual, he, he means something slightly different. It's, it's, it's often this kind of a, like a, a supreme artistic uh, realization of some supreme artistic truth or something um and there's a there's a quote i think from um stephen hero which is a, an early version of portrait of the artist as a young man where um in this in this passage stephen Dedalus, who um is kind of a joyce's stand-in is kind of explaining his uh, theory of aesthetics and he, he touches on on epiphany so i think i'll maybe just read that short quote now by an epiphany he meant a sudden spiritual manifestation whether in the vulgarity of speech or of gesture or in a memorable phrase phrase of the mind itself so again it's it's a spiritual manifestation but it's it's not exactly a uh, necessarily what we would think of as a, as a religious a religious experience and actually if i can pick up on one of the uh, one of the other words in that there the uh, the vulgarity of speech or that that that, that expression i think is uh, in and of itself fantastic and i, th- I think that really gives you a a great insight into how Joyce constructed Dubliners and, 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 and ultimately to an extent what Dubliners is trying to achieve as, as a collection. It's, it's peeling away the false layers of societal norms, religious norms, these strictures, the catechisms of, um, of the first story and showing us the true vulgar nature. Vulgar, you know, is, is, is a fascinating word there. I think, you know, in in and of itself, you know, impl- implies a, a brassness or a, a brashness and immediacy lacking any of the strictures or, or, or artifice around around the nature. And um, you know, I think I think that's a huge aspect of what what comes through in in um, the epiphany straight this story. And yeah, I, I think um, like you said, the vulgar nature of these things. I mean, Joyce chooses as his subject matter. This very kind of everyday life, this not very, you know, not very sophisticated characters in a lot of cases, but also just like, it's really the the bread and butter of day to day life, and kind of like the the filth and the dirt and the vulgarity of it, uh, and and from that he crafts something, you know, epiphanic, something something spiritual. One one writer who also also commented on on epiphany in Dubliners is uh, Anthony Burgess. You might know him as the author of of Clockwork Orange, quite a famous book. Um, and he, he argues that not only are the, the plots in, in the individual stories in, in Dubliners, these, they follow this kind of epiphanic structure, but also that the, the overall collection uh, has this kind of, uh, results in a kind of epiphany or a realisation. And uh, I think he puts it quite, quite beautifully, so I might just read that argument there. Um, so he says, all the stories in Dubliners are studies in paralysis or frustration. The total epiphany is of the nature of modern urban life the submission to routines and the fear of breaking them, the emancipation that is sought but not sought hard enough, the attitudes of a seedy nobility that are punctured by the weakness of the flesh. 
And so, yeah, if, if the individual stories, I suppose, bring about this uh, short epiphanic experience in the reader, then I guess the overall story, the overall collection brings about this wider uh, epiphany about the nature of urban life. I think it's, it's a nice way of putting it. You know, I, th- I think that actually, um, again, probably ties into your experience or, or what we hope will be your experience of, uh, of this podcast, where we're, we're hoping to bring you some epiphanies and, and maybe experience some of them for ourselves over, over, the course of this, uh, over the course of this podcast and over the course of these readings. Um, I think it's um, a key that the epiphanies tend to come at the end of the stories and in some ways almost recontextualize the, uh, the narrative you've experienced up to that point. And I mean, I think that's, that's certainly true of, uh, of this story and encounter and, and at least for me, what I'd consider to be the, the epi- epiphanic moment, if I can, if I can use that phrase, if that's exactly how that word is said. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I've been, I've been saying epiphanic, uh, but I, I suppose, uh, uh, either is fine as long as it's understood right so an encounter is uh, it's kind of an adventure story I, I kind of think of it in three parts we have uh, in the early part where the concept of the wild west and these kind of adventure stories are introduced to the narrator and, and his schoolmates and um, yeah and those kind of stories are of you know adventure are kind of contrasted then with the experiences the boys are having in the school itself um, and they eventually decide that they want to have their own adventure and that, that's kind of part two of the story where the the boy and uh, one of his friends Mahani um, go off and they kind of they traipse around Dublin they skip off school walk around Dublin um, you know buy some treats and look at some ships uh, and eventually they uh, lie down in a field which which kind of leads to the third part of the story which is the uh, eponymous encounter um, and in the encounter, uh, an old man approaches the boys, uh, and he starts to kind of um, he starts a kind of a creepy sort of a monologue, kind of a conversation that turns into a monologue um, about um, boys and sweethearts and and looking at girls. Um, he then walks away from the boys uh, a little bit away, and um, at this point, it's not one hundred percent clear in the narrative what happens, but I think the implication is that that the man maybe starts masturbating uh he returns to the boys then and, and at this stage Mahoney disappears and the narrator is left alone with the man and um the, the man again starts into a kind of a creepy monologue but this time it's more about um a corporal punishment about whipping boys and um the narrator is, is uh scared by this and he he he's um eager to escape eventually he he makes an excuse and, and walks away from the man uh, and is, is reunited with Mahoney and um, at the end of the story there's a, a kind of a revelation that um, uh, you know he, he, he's always kind of despised Mahoney but he's, he's very relieved when he, when he um, discovers him again as, as he gets away from the old man uh, yeah and so yeah that's a, a brief synopsis of what happens in this story uh, hopefully you've also actually read it and you don't need this synopsis but just as a reminder um, yeah, and so uh, Lachlan, then maybe you want to kick off and tell me, well, like, what strikes you about this story? How do, how do we enter into this? How do we approach this? Yeah, so I mean, I think this this story, um, probably distinct from the sisters, is structured has has, has a much clearer kind of a three act structure where you've got the initial setup um, of the boys, kind of a, a, an overview of the boys' life, his experiences in the school, and 
there's um actually there's a few references throughout that section to um you know national boys or national schools and children of of, of a national school nature i think um when the teacher picks up one of the comic books or the the boys stories that the boys are reading and uh, gets a sense of that he says you know this this isn't uh, your your educated young men not uh, national school boys so and i think allusions to national school boys and 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 the class structure of um dublin at the time of the education system of which joyce was obviously a, a, a part of the upper class and um, or the upper middle class structure at the time really feeds through and i think that 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 really kind of tees up the idea of these are for want of a better word soft boys essentially the, the, these are kind of um you're kind of nerdy or bookier boys who are learning about adventure through narratives and through education and, 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 and through this educational system but are struggling or rebelling against that a little bit um and i think that that theme kind of comes up throughout the book and this is then really teeing up the the second half of the narrative where you already i think it was a pact between three of the boys to to, to do this mitching on the day and, and 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 take the day off school and, and and even within that one of them pulls out beforehand the other two kind of egging each other on and finally then uh as they go through and experience the the day you know it's the typical experience of anyone who skips school for a day you uh have a head filled filled with uh, ideas of adventures and in reality you, you i suppose that that collides with the the grim reality of, of of the nature of society as we as it is today that there isn't much for for school children to do and that you know school is effectively uh the the structure or the the, the function of, of of children in in the society and and you know o- o- over this you're you're lulled into almost a false sense of security the title of the book or the title of the story sorry is uh an encounter and even even before the the kind of uh, beginning of act three you haven't really understood what that encounter could reference you know there, there's there's the talk of the boys um play as um cowboys and indians and you know is i i think you're in some way drawn to the idea of oh this is a physical encounter or or, or some kind of uh attack between the is, is is this a narrative between the two uh the, the younger boys and um themselves when they're playing indians and cowboys however then obviously the the third act the the strange gentleman who who's never fully uh, named or identified is uh once he emerges it, it, it rapidly becomes clear what his role is within i suppose the narrative in, in the in the first instance and then um i suppose the wider contextual or meta narrative of um representing kind of essentially a kind of class age and loss of innocence or adolescence uh terminating and, and, and meeting up against uh the grim realities the harsh realities of uh modern day life and um you know i think that is a fascinating offers a fascinating insight into both joyce and you know as, as we've said throughout numerous times already the uh the idea of Dublin as a city and as, as a place and honestly capturing and characterizing the city as, as, as a living being, as a, you know, as, as an organism in essence with, with many different aspects to it. And the, those interacting and rubbing up against one another is, is in essence the, the vitality of the city. Yeah. If I could, I can maybe jump off a point you made um, there around, yeah, the kind of class, um, 
the class of the boys, uh, like you said, um, yeah, they're not badly off. Um, in fact, they're probably one of the better off characters in in, Dub- in Dubliners. Um, and you know, we see that in, in numerous ways, as you mentioned, like the the, the rise of comments towards national school boys. Um, I think the either one of the students or the or the teacher um, refers to the to the um, to the educational institution as as this college, uh, and I think this has led some critics to, to speculate that it might be uh, Belvedere College, where Joyce himself attended, which would be a you know a fee paying private school for um, you know kind of upper middle class families, I guess. Um, also, just the fact the boys have access to these many um, many magazines uh, of, of you know stories from the Wild West, um, yeah. And then lastly, I guess um, yeah, the the boys do actually encounter some 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 poorer children. Uh, they describe them as um, you know ragged boys, ragged girls. Um, I think the ragged troop, uh, and I think that's. Uh, you know, as you said, it's it's this rubbing up of many different walks of life in in the city of Dublin. Um, in Dubliners, yeah, we don't often see this these very very poor characters. We don't often see the the people who are you know living in 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 you know tent a house in a tenement or or even more um, who are struggling to to put food on the table. Um, maybe in 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 Clay, I think Maria in Clay is quite a poor character. But in general, they're characters who are not you know not especially wealthy but they're also not in the struggling to survive stage but i think that that fear of 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 um you know that, that dublin is a poor city and, and and i think a lot of its citizens are in fact in this much more poverty stricken mode of existence and i think um it's something joyce kind of throws little hints at towards throughout the the collection um, and it, it's something that maybe motivates uh, some of the um, some of the characters in the story is that their fear of falling into this um, you know this kind of underclass uh, is is something that yeah also also spurs on or, or or contributes to the sense of paralysis of these characters. Absolutely no, and I, I think there's uh, there's some great topics or some great points you've, you you you've made there. Um, certainly, I think class is a huge feature of 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 the. Of the collection, and I mean, I, I, I'd argue that there's um, uh, two gallants, which is yeah, you know, one of my personal favorite cl- stories in the collection. Probably my favorite, um, up there with with the dead. Certainly, definitely covers look, looks to an extent at the the more seedy aspect of uh, of of Dublin and the the acts and functions performed by different people to um, to survive within the city, but. I suppose to, to, to bring it back to, to this story and, and an encounter, um, you know, I think, again, the class points and, and, the, and the point you made about the the interaction between, I suppose, our hero and his, uh, if I can call him that, and uh, his companion with the uh, the local children or the, the rougher children is, is certainly, I think, the first instance um, of a kind of direct comparison with, uh, of, of a class clash, if you will. Um, but I, I I think that's echoed again then later in the with the interaction between the boys and the stranger if we we'll, if we if we give him that title as um, you know I think in, in one of the descriptions the boy uh, one of the descriptions the boy gives us of the he talks about his kind of yellow teeth and baggy you know d- disheveled clothing and you know there's certainly a, a sense the boys are immediately able to identify his lower class um, facets or features of his outward appearance. But are undermined or confused, I suppose, in the initial point by his 
literary allusions and his his kind of um, I suppose that the, the manner of his speech and things like that and I, and I think there's an aspect of that is the touching of or the interaction between the boy's understanding of what class is meant to be and how someone can present outwardly as as, as being of uh, of, the, of the lower uneducated classes but in, in fact has the literary illusions and I think that shields to an extent or protects the stranger from a more visceral response from the boys when the uh, the event happens the uh, the, uh, I say he's a queer old josser is the uh, is, is the epitaph I think uh, Mahoney gives gives to the the the, the, the emancipation. Uh, yeah, I, I think like you say that there's initially the the, the narrator is uh, is keen to to ingratiate himself with the with this man. He's a uh, you know he's a, a bit upset when Mahoney um, admits to to not knowing what the man is talking about, and he he doesn't want to be taught as as dumb as Mahoney. So the He's definitely not a hundred percent dismissive of the man. He, he, in some way, wants to be be thought of well by the man, and uh, I think, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I think that stems maybe from the um, from the the literary knowledge of the man that the man is asking about these different authors and so on. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's funny because it, it, the man is, um, as you said, talking about about books, but also the. The knowledge that the boys that the boys have themselves are, is all coming from books. They have these ideas of adventure um, that are all coming from from these fantasy or from these uh, Wild West comics, Wild West magazines uh, that aren't actually born out in reality. So I think there's a there's a, a certain kinship there between the the old man and the boys in terms of this um, fantasy stemming from written material. Let's say. Yeah. No. De- definitely. It's. Um question of fantasy and, and and i suppose the realization realizations really the, the the confluence if i can use that expression of um reality and the imagined dream with the practicalities of um of real life i think is is is, is a key aspect of, of this story and i think it um it really helps drive that narrative forward um to an extent yeah i think i think i think that the the key um, for me, at least, of, of of what the whole story kind of turns around is this is this disappointment, right? Is this uh, the, the reality and, and and expectation or fantasy not really not really matching? Um, and I think I think the reason maybe that they they're um, they have this this desire for fantasy is you know it's kind of illustrated uh, in the, in the early part of the in the first part of the story where we're. We're introduced to the Wild West first, and then we're kind of showing their their school life, and they're they're very um, they're very kind of bored in school, right? Like they're they're reading this this other material in school, um, and they're they're not really um, uh, engaged by school at all. They're being taught, I think it's a, a Roman history, um, and you know it's and and maybe doing very uh, probably literal translations from Latin, so it's very kind of mind-numbing sort of sort of work it's also i mean if you look at um you know that they're being taught roman history it's uh it kind of alludes in some ways to the um the two kind of forces that are oppressing ireland at that time at least in joyce's view which are you know the the british empire um so teaching roman history is you know obviously rome is 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 a you know an important european empire and so in, in praising one former empire it's kind of excuses or justifies uh, the the current British Empire, 
uh, and then I guess the other the other force that Joyce sees as as oppressing um, Ireland is is the is the church itself is, is Catholicism, and and yeah, naturally uh, you know headquartered in Rome and, and being um, in in many cases uh, you know mass is still being being spoken in Latin and that sort of thing. So so having a lesson in in you know Latin translation in, in Roman history is is I think. Uh, that's maybe a subtle hint uh, at those two oppressive forces. No, definitely. I think you're 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 on the money there. And I mean, I think there's um, a few more religious allusions. The the the, the very top of the story, um, we hear reference to one of the boy's friends is uh, his parents attend church in Gardiner Street every week or every day. Sorry. So um, you know the the the, the level of religious observance is uh, is high among them. And then one of the boys did again that 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 boy's older brother who was. Uh, I think initially described as, as as a wild young man or something along those lines. Then goes on. We were all shocked to discover he had a, a calling to the priesthood. And there's there's a very subtle. Um, I suppose in in some ways I think that 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 nearly is the inciting incident for this uh, for this story. As uh, you know, compared with the sisters, the the death of the priest. Here we have the death of the young man. In in some ways, as the call to the priesthood renders his future viability. Uh, you know, the, the, this is wild young man is, is going to become a priest and there, there's nothing anyone else can, uh, this is, this is the end of his story. His life is in essence closed off and his adventures will, will never be experienced. And I think the boys are kind of facing up to that death of, uh, childhood to some extent, which I think is, is probably a, a core theme across this, 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 uh, story is the, the death of innocence, the death of childhood, the the the, the birth of adolescence and puberty as a not quite a sexual awakening, which I think we're going to cover in in next week's story, uh, Araby, but uh, the personal adult, the 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 reckoning of uh, adolescence and the realization that the world is a scary and dangerous place, and there are um, there are things happening out there that that you don't have control over. And that you don't uh, you don't enjoy, and I I think that echoes straight the the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think the the section you mentioned uh, detailing the wild boy um, uh, having a calling for the priesthood. It's it's actually quite quite a funny section as well. You know, he's described in one part I think as having a a tea cozy on his head, a kind of a uh, a knitted wooden warmer thing that you would put around a teapot in order to keep it warm. Uh, and he's running around and he's screaming something like yaka 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 and uh, you know and then you imagine this boy now becoming a very solemn uh, you know dignified priest and it kind of um, yeah it's, it's, it's a very funny image I suppose first of all and it's also a kind of another uh, not so subtle I would say in this case criticism of of the church the idea that you know he has he has a calling is 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 obviously not borne out by the the child's character it's more that uh you know it's uh as mentioned kind of when we were discussing the sister it's seen as a means of social advancement that the priesthood is uh you know something that a an aspiring middle class family might want to send their 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 children into absolutely i mean i think and probably for any of our non-irish listeners it's uh interesting to note or it's 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 a cultural artifact that i i think people outside of ireland maybe aren't familiar with but historically um farmland was passed from father to eldest son following a, a, a nearly um monarch monarchic like uh, structure and in 
in that passing on, then the second son was traditionally sent to the priesthood as a, as a, as an alternative option, as you know, with it, with it, without the family farm, they're uh, they're sent to the priesthood. The the third son then is uh, typically a, a doctor. I think is um, the the joke from Father Ted, isn't it? That yeah, what does your brother do? Uh, he's a doctor. How about yours? Yeah, doctor. Yeah. Uh, no, very good, very good. So um, absolutely, the, the priesthood <laughs> was very much a place to send the other child, and uh, I think there's definitely an implication that. Um, as it's the older brother being sent to the priesthood, there is a subtle nod in some ways to possibly the uncontrollable nature of the of the child, and that the calling is, you know, uh, I, I think all that is probably the child's disbelief, and and as an, as an adult reader, you're understanding that this is not a calling so much as a punishment or a means of straightening out the boy and, and controlling him the parents have, have lost the ability to manage him and so we'll send him off to the priesthood the army not being a popular choice or a popular way to send your uh, your child in the irish culture at least due to the this was the role of the british army at, at the time and obviously as well um choice himself in writing this story has uh you know has has yeah, I think it is, is subtly alluding to his his aversion, his relative aversion to to conflict and war and things like that. Despite, I suppose, the repeated uh, presence of war imagery throughout the story. I suppose uh, Joyce's uh, Joyce's opposition to war is something I suppose comes up again in um, in some of his later works as well, which were were written during um, you know First World War. But I guess there's already a, a kind of a, a climate around around the time that this is written between 1904 and 1907 I think where you know conflict was was seen as a, a possible reality yeah so I think we've talked a good bit about the the introductory section uh, and now let's let's maybe focus a bit on on the boys adventure or at least their adventure up until up until the encounter so I think um one of the things I noticed uh, when reading this is that it's it's a story that very much occurs during the day when I when I think of Dubliners I often think of it as a kind of a very dark and gloomy book I think of a lot of the key moments kind of happening at, at, at night time or in low light like you have the candle in the sisters that we, we talked about uh, in the last episode you also have the, the scene at the end of the dead which is you know very clearly a nighttime scene and um, yeah but this is one that, that very clearly happens during the day but I, th- I think it's interesting if you if you look at the kind of the narrative arc it also kind of follows the the uh, the light in the story you know at the, at the very start of the story seen as being a, a very um, bright bright and kind of happy day and um, I might just read out a quote to that effect. When he's on the bridge waiting for um, Mahani and uh, the third companion at that stage who doesn't actually show up in the end um, he he, uh, he describes the, the scene and it's um, all the branches of the tall trees which lined them all were gay with little light green leaves and the sunlight slanted through them on the water. The granite stone of the bridge was beginning to be warm and I began to pat it with my hands in time to an air in my head. I was very happy. So it's, um, you know, this connection between the, the light and the story, but also just the, the boy is very happy. And I think the, the high point of the fantasy then happens around noontime when the, when the boys are, are having lunch and they're, they're watching the ship and they have this, this great imagining of like running away with the ships and what an adventure it would be. And then later, when the man appears, it's it's the sun has gone in behind a cloud. So it's it's interesting that Joyce kind of uses light to, I guess, the the dissipation of the light or the dis the light, um, 
sort of follows the path of their fantasy. When their fantasy is at, is at its maximum, you have the most light. And then when the cl- sun goes behind the cloud, everything starts to dissipate. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. It's um, the, the, the use of light is, is, is definitely something Joyce um, uses to his, his, his advantage across across the collection and, and the the verisimilitude or the realism of, of, of the collection and, and the um, visual nature of, of a lot of the narrative is, 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 is very real across this story. I actually... Um, uh, several years ago now, I saw a performance of um, a selection of the short stories from Dubliners in, um, in the Olympia Theatre here in Dublin, and uh, an encounter was one of the ones that they that was included. And um, in that, the use of light was hugely prevalent. You know, the um, again, I think staging and the nature of it, it's 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 very easy to create a visual uh, cues uh, in essence to, to to what's happening on stage. So. You know that kind of almost to, to to an extent you would say kind of pantomime esque approach to to theatre where um when the the encounter event or when the the the, the uh, sexual event happens the you know the, there's kind of that um, thunderous noise and the the lights kind of very shock you know kind of shock on stage as 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 this is happening and and, and the boys are are made aware of it and you know I, I think to to an extent that um. That ties into some of the themes we were talking about in terms of the realism and the, the the reality of of, of this as collection. It, it it's it lends itself very nat- naturally to visualization in the first instance, but also just a a core reality. Um, and I I had actually pulled, uh, the same quote as yourself. The uh, the, the the one you offered at the top there. The um, the granite stone of the bridge was going to be warm, and I began to pat it with my hands in time to an air in my head was. I, th- I think just a great example of um, just the absolute realism. You can see exactly what the boy sees. You can he- you you know exactly what's going on, and there, there's a there's a great realism to to this that makes it uh, viable. I, I think that coupled with um, the geography of the story as well, the um, the physically moving further and further away from the places they know and and. and I think before before the encounter, the boys have kind of um, agreed to kind of sit down here, sit down on this this um, piece of grass, and uh, you know they they've had to console themselves with the fact that they'll have to take a train home to get home in time, as a result of uh, kind of staying out too long and chasing chasing an adventure that they 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 couldn't quite encounter. Right. Yeah. Even even in the the original purpose of their adventure, which was like, I think to to visit the pigeon house, uh, they they don't. They don't quite get there. So it's not only a disappointment in terms of this kind of uh, realisation that the adult world doesn't match up to fantasy, but it's also a literal disappointment in that they didn't get to reach their, their end destination. So I, I think it's maybe interesting then to look at, at the two core characters and their relationship in this story, uh, because you know that's, that's key to the adventure and also to this uh, epiphany at the end, which is you know the core of the story. Um, I think if we look at the narrator himself, there's a there's a sense that he's not a particularly strong character. Um, at the start, um, you know, the the boys are all playing um, Wild West stories, but he says that he prefers uh, kind of the detective stories. But he goes along with the with the Wild West story because he doesn't want to be, um, you know, seen as as an outcast, seen as too studious or or or, or not uh, robust enough. Um, and so the whole way through, you have this kind of um, sense at least to me i think that the the narrator isn't uh you know he doesn't have a very strong will he's going along with mahani and um 
I think sometimes the way he he is quietly critical of Mahoney, but it, it doesn't really, at least for me, it wasn't really obvious the first time I read this until you get to this revelation at the end that he, he, he doesn't really like Mahoney. Um, because the way he, he describes things, you know, he's, he says things like Mahoney uses slang freely. And obviously the fact that he calls that out distinguishes him from, from Mahoney himself. But he, he doesn't provide any... Um, uh, you know any moral judgment there he just he just makes it as an observation but then once you read that again with the knowledge of the revelation at the end you kind of start to see okay yeah, maybe he doesn't really like this guy um, but he's not really a strong enough character to you know I guess set his own boundaries or choose his own friends or you know, decide what games he wants to play in some ways I, I definitely agree with you in your reading of it as, as uh, the, the the main character is a uh... A gentle boy, I think, is the is the phrase that was once used to describe me, and and, and I absolutely recognise uh, facets of, of of our of our our protagonist in uh, in myself. But uh, I think I think your point on um, not reading or not interpreting his kind of jives or or or, or snide little comments and, and and thoughts or even insights that he offers us, I suppose, the reader on on his relationship with Mahoney speak to his lack of self-awareness about them himself I don't think he realizes that there is a disconnect between uh, what he thinks and feels and how he acts and performs around the other people as with the other people and I, th- I think that's um, the strength of the the, the story and the, the the structure of the writing that you are completely absorbed by by the boy and his uh, his interpretation of the world up until the point that um, you know he has this revelation, this 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 interaction, and um, you know I think uh, it's 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 absolutely telling. I think to to pull the, uh, the 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 quote from the final line on that this epiphanic moment, um, and the line is he ran as if to bring me aid, and I was penitent for in my heart I'd always despised him a little, and I, I think there, there's you know I, I think when I first read that. You know, I, I zoomed in on that last uh, couple of words. I had always despised him a little. But um, in rereading it and, and, and in preparation for this, you know, I, I think it was the, it was actually the first half of that sentence. And I was penitent for in my heart, I was always despised him a little. And it was, uh, it's kind of a, te- it's, it's an interesting moment because it, it ties in that religiousness and that kind of, um, that sense of penitence uh, that he maybe does have on some level a degree of understanding or knowledge of, of uh, Mahoney's character flaws, but that ultimately the big bad world is, is, is just that. It's bigger and badder and, and, and more of a world than, than he as an individual can, can tackle or approach. And he is reliant upon the, uh, the collaborative nature of, of, of his friends. Um, I think if I can... I know I can see you want to jump in here, but if I can, if I can offer one other in, insight on this as well is um, just the in the preparation and and uh, of of the event. You know, it's it's himself who brings the who coordinates the uh, the sixpence and the really drives. I think the intention of the plan behind this this entire um, expedition to to force you know kind of collecting the money from the other two and showing he himself has the money, and then but critically, it's Mahni rather than our, our protagonist who makes the call that, you know, what happens to his sixpence? Oh, he's forfeited. 
um, it's a forfeit as a result of not turning up and not not joining them on the adventure. So I think that 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 really gives you a great duality or a dichotomy between the the, the protagonist and 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 his friend Manny. Yeah, I think those are some some interesting points, and I I guess that I I've kind of described him as a as a weak character, and I guess it's showing that he he organised the the mitching or the ex- escapade is a uh, you know uh, showing maybe he does have. He does have some ambition or he does have some sort of backbone there to kind of drive things forward. Um, as to whether he was conscious of his dislike for Mahoney, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, he, he, he is a self-aware character, I think, to some, to some extent. I think, like I, I mentioned this, that he wants to play with the boys uh, in the wild west because he, he's afraid of being seen as too studious and and this is something he 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 um narrates directly he he says it to us the readers so he's aware of himself as you know he's a, he's studious and he 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 wants to fit in and i think again you have this uh this uh kind of moment of, of self-awareness just just before that that final epiphany uh, where he he um you know he's he's telling the uh, the man that he encounters that uh, he has to go do something. I can't remember exactly the excuse he gives, but uh, anyway, when he when he gives that excuse, he he says, um, "My voice had an accent of forced bravery in it, and I was ashamed of my paltry stratagem." Uh, so yeah, I th- I think he's he is a little bit aware whether he's aware that he of his dislike of Mahoney throughout the story is. Yeah, I guess it's it's a it's a difficult one to answer definitively. No, I mean I think it's 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 to my mind, you know, I I I would I would read it. I would would have always read it as he has no awareness necessarily, or no overt awareness. Well, that there may be something in 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 the back of his mind that that he knows he's not achieving the full level of satisfaction in his life that he he could be, or that he's he's in some way missing out on that. On something, I think there's definitely a degree of sensibleness or level-headedness in the in, in the in the boy that that kind of prevents him from outwardly expressing this this disdain for for Manny. It's um, it's tough to qualify the boys' relationships. Ultimately, you know, I th- I think they they are kind of fully fledged characters, and um, you know, they, they they create a great a great pairing. You you. Joyce exemplifies, I suppose, both characters so well through their interaction with each other and the dichotomy nearly between their actions or their approach to the same situation, you know, where, where they, they first encounter the stranger. Uh, our protagonist kind of bluffs his way through a uh, knowledge of, of the different kind of literary illusions the, the stranger makes, whereas Mahoney kind of almost proud in his lack of knowledge or lack of awareness and... You know, I, I think to an extent that's speaking a little bit to the, not necessarily the different approach of the boys to, to, to life, but uh, perhaps in some ways they're the the protagonist's innocence in some ways. And again, I think this, this ties, you know, that there's a an overwhelming drive in him to appear to be the good boy, to, to, to answer the call to you know, an elder person, you know, if he thing and he doesn't want to be perceived to be kind of not knowing or, or has, is, is very aware of how he's perceived by others in a way that I think Mahoney isn't. And ultimately, I think that leads to our protagonist being trapped in a much more dangerous situation than Mahoney was. And whether, 
whether there's a degree there's a degree of um undermining our protagonist a little bit by kind of showing him up as you know he likes to think he's the smart one he's the the one with the drive and the impetus and things like that but ultimately it's Mahoney's doggedness and and unwillingness to adhere to to necessarily to social norms that that ultimately kind of shields him a little bit and and, and allows him to to disengage from the awkward social situation after the uh, the strange event has taken place that um that protects him and that, that he just chases goes running off after the cat while uh, while our protagonist is stuck engaging with the man in the post uh, post event phase where the man's uh, dialogue and discussions have uh, have descended into something a bit more concerning shall we say yeah thanks thanks for handing over to me on that point uh, i will i will get to that that second dialogue but i just wanted to kind of reiterate something you were saying there a little bit uh, yeah like i think again like you said the, the two characters play off each other and i think it's it's very funny you know kind of seeing how they react to each other you mentioned um the the, the period at the end there there's also again when the boys are approaching the uh the ragged boys and ragged girls Mahani wants to go up and, and shoot them with a slingshot and attack them and, and raid them and stuff uh and uh, but the the uh the narrator is saying oh no they're too small and so you got this kind of like the narrator is kind of managing Mahani in a way he's like you know trying to wheedle with him or, or reason with him in a way that the narrator's kind of got much more of a political operator and Mahani is much more of a I do this thing because I want and uh, yeah again you see, as you said you see it in their interaction with the old man um, you know when he's asking how many sweethearts they have and uh, yeah, the narrator is, is, is truthful and says, says none and Mahani is just saying three because he's you know a bit of a braggart or he just he does what he wants I guess uh, says what he wants uh yeah and so i i think it's it's very funny you know so like this is a you know there's quite some quite dark themes in this uh you know uh but uh there's there's humor through it um and then yeah to jump back to yeah to the encounter itself and and the man um yeah i think uh yeah his second you know if there was any kind of doubt of of his his creepiness in the, in the first dialogue i think it's already quite well established but the second dialogue is quite um quite explicit you know he starts using phrases like a like a nice warm whipping and he he starts directly contradicting what he said in in his his first uh dialogue where he was um you know saying oh boys should have sweethearts and talking about how nice girls were and now he's saying um you know if he caught anyone with a boy boy he'd give them a, a whipping um and i think um you know I, I think i think also joyce describes the the man's tone and he says it kind of alternates between um as if he's relating a, a very everyday fact that everyone knew. Uh, and then he's also, he, he has that tone for part of his conversation, but for other parts of his conversation, it's like he's, uh, he, he changes tone and he's like involving them in a secret, trying to bring them into a secret pact. And it's, yeah, I guess that kind of, you can kind of already read the kind of the man's motivations there. He's trying to pretend that uh, everything he's saying is, uh, you know, totally above board, but then he's also kind of tra- draw them in into this kind of seedy, disgusting fantasies that he had no absolutely it's um it's challenging to know i i am if i'm perfectly honest with you i have never been able to mentally i suppose square my exactly my feelings on 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 this story i think like it's a it's a hugely important story and i think thing but it's uh you know it, it, it is a fantastic narrative and story from a structural technical perspective 
but I, I, I think for myself at least, you know, the subject matter itself and the the act and 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 the the, the stranger really do represent a, a relatively difficult piece of piece of literature to engage with, um, you know, and and and, and, that, and that speaks to it, um, and, and I think you you can tell that from our relative unwillingness to <laughs> discuss to, to to dive into this piece. Right. Yeah. It's it's a very it's a difficult topic to approach, um, you know, and I I think Joyce, I think we've mentioned a few times, you know, he he doesn't provide these clear moral judgments. Um, you know, elsewhere in say in, in Ulysses, there's another um, you know scene involving public masturbation, which is you know has less of a less of a dark air about it, I would say. Um, and so you know, it's it's you know, Joyce's. I guess that's part of what makes the stories great, but it's also part of you know what makes it difficult to read is is you have this this thing that happens and it's 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 just presented as as a as a thing that happened as a as a fact and and you have to kind of deal with it in some way. Absolutely, that 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 phrase, the the vulgarity of speech or of gesture, um, you know, I think I think really, uh, you know, in in some ways that 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 line could be explicitly describing this this moment, this this encounter where uh, the man, um, you know, is 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 performing ultimately is performing an incredibly vulgar act, and that, you know, and and one. One interpretation that 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 I um you know I, I think is worth exploring is is the idea we've talked a lot about the idea of epiphany and and the the protagonist's epiphany, but uh, I I do wonder to an extent if there's a if we're seeing kind of secondhand an epiphany on behalf of the stranger, because I, I think there is very much a two part um structure to his interaction. I suppose there's the initial approach where uh, you know as, as we talked about he kind of discusses you know relationships with the the boys when they're, they're clearly um you know visually at least presented at least in the narrative that they should be visually below that age or or, or prepubescent and uh, you know then after the, the the masturbation event he returns and you know has as you say spe- speaks in this kind of almost like uh, indoctrinating the boys into a secret or into a cult like experience and you, you wonder if uh the stranger has had an epiphany as a result of the the the, the masturbation, or or there's there's been a a release, a mental release for him, and that's that's allowed him now to to fully flow forth and to to kind of consider, you know, do I need to is 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 he attempting to recruit these boys in some way? Is he is he is he attempting to groom them or something like that? And um, you know, it's, it's it's an interesting interesting idea or alternative reading on the the story. I don't know if that's something that you uh, picked up on any of your turns on this yeah I, I mean there's clearly something has happened to change the the man's um outlook or or, or even what he says uh, between the first part and the second part for me i mean he's kind of in, in the second part he starts talking about whipping boys and corporal punishment and stuff but it's also a reaction to kind of what he said in the first part about this kind of like having sweethearts and this kind of like uh, you know encounters with women or, or you know, romantic or sexual encounters with women that he's kind of hinting at in the first part. And so the fact that he turns to this kind of like um, punishment, kind of like, uh, y- you know, like, like he, he wants to whip the boys is kind of, it's it's in some ways a rejection of the thing he said in the first part. You know, he says, if, he, if I caught a boy with a sweetheart, I'd, I'd whip him. And so I kind of wonder if there's these kind of competing motives, play, competing motives 
playing in the in the man's head of this kind of drawing to this sexual thing but then also kind of being repulsed by it and kind of having this need to be punished for it but then also that punishment in turn becoming part of the kind of sexual fantasy in some way um but yeah he's um he's a difficult character to deal with and um but i i, I think he's he's not he's not he's no he's not the fundamental part of the story and i think the fundamental part is 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 the relationship between the two boys and um yeah i think he's he's there primarily as a as a as a means of kind of exposing uh, the boys but perhaps even literally exposing in some ways the boys to uh you know the cruelty of 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 the adult world uh, and and that kind of collapse of the fantasy idea that we have at the start of the story um to the end absolutely and i mean you know, I think uh, t- taking that as a starting point, maybe the the, the the final theme or area that we we will discuss now is 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 probably around uh, the the loss of innocence, and and you know, I think we had, we've touched on this across uh, the, the the different narrative points, but I think it's um, the loss of innocence is is is, is maybe too strict or too narrow an interpretation. I think you know, to to my mind, I, I would always interpret this uh, story as a uh, as a coming of age story and i think that's 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 kind of critical um or that's 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 one critical lens to, through which to interpret or to, to read the story is as a um you know the facets of childhood being put away and engaging with the 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 world as an adult or as someone who's perceived to be an adult and i think you can see that happening throughout the narrative where you've got the comic books or the, the 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 literature being taken away by the priest and you know refocusing on your studies you've got the protagonist dissuading Mahni from engaging with the the, the wild children the, the 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 rough children as a way of you know kind of they're too young they're too small in some ways both sim- simultaneously stating look you know this is the common sense they look they're, they're they're too small but also we're distinguished from them small children play what we do is go on adventure, you know, the, this idea of the, the the great wild west and the cowboys adventures and things like that. And even the detective stories as a, you know, that's a more adult job. It's certainly, I, I think, I think in, in, in literary circles, slightly more adult aimed literature is, is, you know, the detective stories, the, the narratives around that are more sophisticated than in a traditional cowboys and Indian structure. And again then i think you you know the, 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 this carries through in the in the boys looks at, at adventure on the ships and again kind of rejecting childish notions of imagined places with cowboys and indians and into more practical realist fantasies of hopping on a ship and traveling to far-flung lo- exotic locations that while new and unique to them are less fantastical and just more Exotic. I think you can um, kind of look at it from the perspective of, of an adventure story of this kind of hero's journey. I think some theorists have suggested that you can categorize a lot of kind of classical myths and in even kind of contemporary fantasy adventure stories by they all follow a very similar arc of you know the the protagonist is taken out of his comfortable home and uh, you know with the help of of someone or other kind of sent on this journey. And uh, along the journey, he faces numerous different challenges. And um, as a result of those challenges, he uh, transforms in some way. 
he changes and he, he is not the same character uh, coming back from the journey as he is at the start of the journey. And, and say often in classical mythology, this, this period of change might coincide with, say, a trip to the underworld or something like that. But uh, I think what's interesting in this is, you know, you have this kind of, I think you have this period of change and in, in, in a normal a heroic journey you will have then the character uses this changed circumstances his changed perspectives or to address these problems that he's been having and maybe to return home at the end but Joyce cuts the story short right at that point when the character experiences the the pivotal moment of change and uh, it's part of why the story sticks with you so much is because yeah like a lot of stories in Dubliners you're kind of left with this uh, you want more right you're left with a sort of a, an unsatisfied feeling uh, absolutely way. yeah no I, th- I think you're you're spot on there in terms of the deconstruction of the traditional hero myth or the hero's journey as a framework. And, you know, I think, I think to an extent we, we touched on this already as the, the concept of vignettes, that these are not complete narrative, circular narratives where, you know, at the end of the story, everything is almost reset and the characters are back where they were with the benefits of, of, of the events behind them. It, it, it's, it's slightly more, this is just a cross-section of their lives. This is a, a day in, you know, ultimately a day in the, in the lives of these boys, but an important day that will forever define how they continue to exist in, in, in the rest of the world. And I, I think it's, um, it's, 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 it's very interesting from that perspective to, to consider how, both the narrative ceases or rejects the the conventional hero's journey. You know, you know. I, th- I think I think under a conventional hero's journey narrative, the boy would, you know, grab Mahani's slingshot and and, and and kind of fire things at at the, at the man. But it's it's, I suppose, parallels the the idea that putting away childhood and putting away innocent things, narratives aren't simple. Your life isn't a you are not the hero of your own life. The world exists around you and it's just a series of people interacting with each other on various different levels and guises. And that realisation, in some ways, I suppose, ties into the other themes of the story, the idea of um, the narrator ultimately disliking Mahani, but requiring him. And, you know, again, if I can... For for a final time, that 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 final quote, he ran as if to bring me aid, and I was penitent. For in my heart, I'd always despised him a little. There 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 is a recognition. Mahni is fulfilling a role of providing help and succor to uh, to our pr- protagonist, but it's 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 phrased from the perspective of our protagonist who sees Mahni running to him as if to give him aid. So it's 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 not necessarily that Mahni is going to do anything, but. Mahani has cast himself as the the, the savior, the hero here, and I think that um, that's telling, and I, I I think that ties into this, you know, this topic or this theme for the the story as the the, the, the end of of innocence, the 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 emerging of uh, puberty and pubescence and adolescence as uh, you know as it as it falls upon uh, upon you as an as an individual or as a child. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. And I think, um, yeah, this collapse of, of these kind of this fantasy view of the world of good and evil or like clear sides that is represented in the first part of the story, obviously, by the Wild West magazines, but also in some ways by um, religion, by this kind of teaching of um, these strict religious doctrines, you know, this Ten Commandments, this is good, this is bad. 
uh, and you know maybe the, the narrator has has thought of 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 Mahani as as a bad person or is clearly defined a kind of binary good or evil or maybe not necessarily evil but good or bad let's say uh, and but then yeah as you say he emerges with a more complex view of the world and uh, yeah I think that's that's key to the to the epiphany of the, of the story so to say and I think like a, like a lot of Joyce and epiphanies you know when we talk about epiphany you can kind of think of you know this moment of trumpets sounding and a star appearing in the sky and then you're kind of have this eureka moment and you're pushed to action and, and like you say that would lead to him you know maybe grabbing Mahoney's slingshot and hit, hitting the man but that's not the kind of epiphany Joyce writes about it's kind of these subtle internal realizations um, and yeah I think it's it's a it's a, a beautiful way to end a story. I think that probably covers off the main uh, topics or areas that we wanted to, to discuss on this I don't know um I suppose for myself, kind of closing thoughts, and uh, John, I'll, I'll be kind to give you the last word again. Um, I think, you know, great story, difficult subject matter, but a fascinating insight into, you know, potentially Joyce's opinions on, on puberty. And, you know, I, I, I certainly think uh, you can read this as maybe not explicitly puberty itself as a simplistic concept of a physical event in a, in a person's life but maybe more as a wider concept of the transition from childhood to adulthood and um the recognition of the individual as a whole within society and and, and your relatively your relative position and, and and security within within a wider society john uh, any any closing thoughts on this? I don't have anything further to add, but uh, yeah, I think it, it leads in really well into the next story, where again you have this uh, this uh, growth or this realization, this coming out of childhood or adolescence and becoming more of a fully formed adult. And it also happens in a kind of a epiphany. So I think it's a it's a great lead in then to to Araby, which will be our next episode. Absolutely, and you know I think I think absolutely join join us for Araby, where we 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 touch on these topics and. You know, I, I think we'll potentially we'll, we'll possibly discuss, um, you know, alluded to it now, but the first three stories in the collection, uh, The Sisters, An Encounter in Araby, at least to my mind, form a, a nice trinity that uh, you can kind of very easily group together and to, to an extent make the argument that these are, while definitively not the same protagonist, could easily be or have been written as one individual with you know, three different kind of varying experiences happening in their life. Um, and I, I think that's, that's, that's a topic we can, we can pick up in the next episode. And I uh, hope we hope you join us for then. Uh, until then, I've been one of your co-hosts, Lachlan Coyne, and my co-host is... Uncle Fetter, thank you very much for listening to us. Especially thank you for listening all the way to the end. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.